Welcome back to the Charlotte Nation Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we've got co-founders, uh, Eric and Marco, from Bundle joining, joining us. So Bundle's a neat app that launched their beta mode in the very beginning of 2020, so right into a pandemic. And the concept, as you'll learn, is all about privacy and mortgages. Uh, those two terms from a mortgage lead generation haven't historically gone together. But Eric and Marco are working to bring that to us. I think it's a really neat concept. I think it launches at a time that privacy is becoming a more important conversation. So I think it's I think the timing aspect of it works well. And you'll hear these two co-founders work together, talk together about the app, where they are. You'll learn about how they came together, which is a great story. It's another fantastic story of success come out of QC Fintech. Bundle was a QC Fintech uh, program uh, company. It's, um, as you'll learn, is where Eric and Marco met each other. So, you know, I mean, again, QC Fintech's having a lot of success in the Charlotte area by incubating local companies as well as helping companies outside of Charlotte come and find out what success looks like. So, Great story from Eric and, and Marco. Really excited to see what they're doing. They'll talk about where they're going, where they've been, how 2020 treated them, etc. So really fun, interesting podcast and certainly hope you enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. Eric, Marco, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you and talk about Bundle today. It's going to be a blast. Thanks for having us, William. So, yeah, appreciate you having us on, William. Yeah, no. So I've um, I've followed the company for a while now. Um, so even before y'all came and pitched to the Charlotte Angel Fund, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but tell me, um, you know, it's a it's a young company. Um, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about what Bundle is. How does it operate? Let's dive through the operating aspect of Bundle for a little while, and then we'll talk about Eric and Marco and um, and some other other um, areas as well. But let's dive straight into what is Bundle. Sure. So at the simplest form, Bundle is a mortgage marketplace. So we have lenders or banks on one side of the marketplace and we have home buyers um, or people that need to refinance their mortgage on the other side of the marketplace. And really what we do is we help home buyers find their mortgage. But the thing that we do that's different uh, than other companies is we keep the home buyer completely anonymous through the entire process. So we make sure that they're sort of in control the whole time. And the other thing that we do that's very different in the market is we connect you to an actual person, a, a mortgage loan officer. And so home buyers love that because it's a very personal decision for them and they want somebody that they can lean on. So they're able to, to message with these individuals um, back and forth um, when they know who those mortgage loan officers are, but they don't, those mortgage loan officers don't know who the home buyer um, is until they're ready to go. So that's what we do in a nutshell. So let's break it down a little bit. I was actually talking with a client here locally um, two weeks ago or three weeks ago or whatever it was. They're asking me about refinancing and they said that they'd been onto one of the refinancing websites and they entered in their information and they got a thousand emails um, and they kept getting a thousand emails. Um, so similar service that y'all are offering except we're not getting a thousand emails spammed for the rest of our lives at that email address, right? So talk a little bit about the difference between one of the more traditional enter in your email, get spammed and phone called versus what y'all are offering. How does it, I get it that it's anonymized, but how is it anonymized? How does the matching process work? What's the, um, uh, what's the user experience, so to speak? Definitely. So the, the old way of doing it, and, and this has sort of evolved over the last 20 years, and so it's very much a you know late 1990s, early 2000s way of doing it, but it's just really gotten out of hand, which is you go online, you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to shop around, find a mortgage uh, that has a competitive rate, find a mortgage company that you want to work with. Um, but what happens when you go on these comparison sites is they grab your phone number and your email address. And as soon as you press that button, they're gonna open up an API with 
four or five or six banks and automatically send all your personal information out to all those folks. And those banks are going to put you into um, a robo dialer. So just a machine that automatically dials your phone number as many times as it takes to get you to answer, answer the phone. And so a lot of times you'll get 40 to 50 phone calls over a two week period. You'll get texts, you'll get emails like you were mentioning. And so it's just a really, really terrible customer experience, especially, you know, I'm just trying to dip my toe in here. I know nothing about mortgages. I'm trying to do the right thing. And this is how it starts off. And so it's just a, a, a pretty, pretty much a disaster of how to enter into the market as a consumer. And so what we do is we really uh, understand where that home buyer is coming from. And you can go through our process, um, answer a few simple questions. And we have a matching algorithm that matches you with local lenders that are a right fit for you. And once we do that, then you're able to interact with them on our platform. So you can message with them anonymously, that kind of thing, ask questions, compare their quotes side by side. And when you're ready, you can reach out to them and share any information, any more information that, that, that they need. So we like to say that we just expand the consideration phase of the marketing funnel, which is really what people want. Consumers are demanding privacy online now, and we're providing that to them. How did the concept come about? Uh, I mean, it's a unique concept, right? And you know, clearly with the Apple Facebook spat that is very dominant is actually on the front page of the Wall Street Journal this morning. I don't know if y'all saw it. Um, but over the course of the last 12 months, the privacy concept has really come to the forefront. But I mean, y'all didn't start 12 months ago, right? Y'all been out in front of it for a little while. So how did the concept kind of come about to start Bundle? Yeah, definitely. So I worked for a great company here in Charlotte, uh, top 15 mortgage lender. Uh, they're they're based out of South Charlotte, Movement Mortgage. Um, they've just done some great things in the industry of, of helping, um, you know, really focusing on cons- customer service and that kind of thing. And what we tried to start doing there, and I was on, you know, the leadership team at Movement. And one of the things that we were doing is trying to increase the amount of, uh, of customers we were finding digitally. So we started buying leads. And there were some lead sources where we would buy a hundred leads. And when I say leads, I mean phone numbers, right? So we would buy a hundred phone numbers and we would call each of them eight times and we would close one or two of them, right? And so it was just a, a, a very eye-opening experience um, for me. And now, and, and, and you're like, man, what are the externalities of what we're doing and what the industry is, how the industry is shifting that way um, because of all the robo dialing technology and everything, what are the externalities to the actual customer experience at, at the forefront? No, no wonder the mortgage industry gets a, a bad rap. And so that's where the the sort of core of the idea uh, came in, um, and, and just sort of working, you know, working through the industry my entire career, and just jotting down on a piece of paper how would I personally want to find my mortgage if I didn't know anything about the industry, but, you know, with the, with the tools that I have, I've I've been, you know, at my disposal for the past 15 years. And then when you, when you you look at, yeah, when you look at the the consumer experience too, like what consumers today want to do, uh, especially the millennial demographic now that's buying homes and it's the largest group buying homes. Now they, they want to go online. They, they want to do the right thing but they, you know, they don't want all the cold calls. They don't want all the spam. And so that's why, you know, the iPhone and and AT&T and Verizon now have the potential spam blockers and all these different pieces. And and Congress does a lot of stuff now in terms of TCPA and all the CCPA stuff that continues coming out to where people continue to care about their privacy, that they know their data is out there, um, but they want it respected. And so that's part of the whole reason why on Bundle, hey, people want to go online, they want to do the right thing but let them do it in a way that's actually going to be respectful of their data and not just have their information sold um, to often millions of people. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, talk about the way people are treated these days from a spam phone call. Y'all probably gotten them too. We're used to get the robo phone calls where um, the electronic voice would pick up five or six seconds in or something like that, or it would only respond if you said something. Um, and people just would pick up the phone on an unknown number and they just wouldn't say anything to see whether or not there's somebody on the other end of it. 
Well, now all of a sudden I've started getting phone calls recently. I don't know if y'all have gotten them as well, where it's a real person. As soon as you pick up says hello, um, but it's a recorded hello. And the whole prompt is to get you to say something back. So then the automated voice kicks in and tells you whatever message it is that they want you to. It's like, man, that is just a dirty, sleazy way to try to trick people into being engaged. So you're taking it a different direction. You're really trying to do the right thing for the consumer by limiting their exposure to stuff like that, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of different things that they're doing to try to trick you. Now, another one that I like to talk about is you, a lot of time you're, you're getting hung up on spam calls more now. And so there's a reason for that because what they're doing is they're realizing we can call six people at the same time and only one of them is going to pick up. But if two of them pick up, we're just going to hang up on one of them. And so it's something that I started to notice. And then I, I read an article about how these things work and there's all kinds of technologies out there. Are doing, so now that now they're not only annoying you, they're annoying you and, and hanging up on you, which is, which is both, uh, you know, both it's double, double whammy there. So, yeah, I think, I think that is a great point. Uh, I, you know, that the technology has, really separated itself from the customer um, experience. And I think that we've just got to hit the reset button on what consumers want, because that's what wins in the long term with any within any industry is the the deliberate obsession over what the end customer wants. And, you know, we've just gotten so far away from that in our industry that it's time to hit that reset button. Well, it's funny, right? The, for the long time, the customer just wanted cheap rates. Um, but you know, now, I mean, I, you know, you started this company, um, they want cheap rates and to be treated. Right. I mean, you know, go figure. Right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, Marco, I'll let you talk a little bit about this, but you know, one of the, one of the cool things about a startup and something that, that, you know, we didn't, we didn't make, make this advice up, but we hear it all the time is you sort of let the market dictate where your product heads, right? So you've got the core general vision and the, you know, the, the North Star and all that, but how you get there is, is dictated on what people actually, how they use your product. You know, you might have a hypothesis of what people want, but then they start using it a little differently. So Marco, I'll let you talk a little bit about what wins on bundle, which might be surprising for some folks on, on how, um, you know, customers interact with loan officers and, and, and some of the, um, you know, some of the things that are important to consumers. Yeah. So one of the, the biggest pieces, just since we're a marketplace, obviously with, with lenders and, and banks um, is obviously making sure that they're successful, they're able to close loans. And so um, we do a lot of work and data analysis to make sure that the lenders that we have on the platform are, are successful and, and are doing well. And so what that looks like, it's very interesting because the whole, the industry's mindset has always been um, two things. It's all about lowest rates or speed to lead. And so, hey, it's all about how fast you can respond or how low, low your rate can be. And the way that we kind of design bundle is actually, we've kind of created a third factor that we believe is the most important piece. And that's all about personalization. So we actually see the lenders who send more personalized notes and follow-ups and, and when they send quotes over to home buyers, um, the more personalized they can be is actually the better that they perform on bundles. So there, there is a, there's a little bit of a price and a rate factor. There is some, some speed factors in there, but the, in terms of the responsiveness and personalization uh, and helpfulness is really what wins on bundle. And that at the end of the day is what we believe is, is important, right? Because buyers can look for different things. You know, some, some people are going to care more about rates. Some people will care more about um, time and responsiveness. But a uh, majority of folks really, when they're buying a home, they don't know what they're looking for. And so they just need somebody who can kind of help them along the process um, and do that in a way that's in a, in a hand-holding way. And so that, that's really what we've created at Bundle. That's how we've kind of developed the product in a way to highlight the messaging tools. And so um, loan officers who can be more personalized on the site actually do the best, which is, I think, in, in a really strong way of how we're hopefully helping change the industry a little bit of making things more personalized and not just about, you know, how much can you churn and burn through through clients. Um. So uh, let's roll all the way back to the beginning. When did you start Bundle? We started, when was the idea kind of conceived, right? Yeah, so we, we started developing it in 2018. And okay. then 
released our beta product uh, early 2019 okay. and released our full product at the end of 2019. So our full product's been out in the market for a little bit over a year now. And it sort of coincided um, from when when I met Marco as well. So I met Marco through the, the Queen City FinTech Accelerator program here in town. And we just hit it off. We're both super enthusiastic guys. And, and, and we were actually releasing our full product around the same time that Marco joined. And so um, we've, we've been out there for a little bit more than a year now. Okay. Um, you start off with uh, just a Charlotte focus initially. Is that right? You know, actually to test some stuff out, we started out in Jacksonville um, just to get some feedback. Florida from, or North Carolina? Sorry, I got to uh, ask. Florida. Yeah, Florida, okay. Jacksonville, Florida. And, uh, you know, the reason why is we just, you know, you know, actually it was a little bit personal. I have a brother that lives down in Jacksonville. So I went down there, spent a week with him, just went around knocking on doors of lenders and showing them the, the product, which was very, very sort of base basic at that point. But, you know, there's something um, very unique about a marketplace model. If I'm selling tennis shoes or something like that, you know, it's a one-way street. I can go advertise. I can drive people to the site. I can get them to, to buy the, the tennis shoes. Right. And so I've got really one customer in mind. When you have a marketplace, you have two sides that you have to worry about. And so when we first released our beta product, we actually got some really good press uh, on you know what we were doing for the consumer and that kind of thing. The issue was we had just released the product really, and we didn't have a massive amount of lenders on there. And so you have this issue where all these consumers are like, oh man, this is awesome. This is exactly how I want to get my mortgage. And there's you know nobody there to, to send them quotes or message with them. And then then you get a little bit of traction with the lenders and they're like, where are all the home buyers? And, and so that is something that it took, I mean, a good year uh, to sort of iron that stuff out. And, and really the, I, I think Marco, if correct me here on my timing, but I think January of 2019 was the first time. Um, sorry, January of 2020 was the first time where we felt really good about the interaction that was happening. You know, we had a, a good solid amount of home buyers coming on. We had a good solid amount of lenders there and seeing sort of the, some of the numbers on the messaging and just seeing that activity was one of the coolest uh, evolutions of our product is when that stuff started clicking because we were pushing that boulder up the hill, trying to get that marketplace to work for, you know, the better part of a year. And it's, it's interesting always building a marketplace, right? Because you, you always have to balance it. And so you always, when you're starting out, you're trying to do anything you can to make the marketplace balance and to have the right number of buyers and lenders and, and vice versa. And as you grow that, you know, only, it only keeps happening, right? You still have to continue to balance out the market and you kind of get pretty keen at figuring out how you can balance it out easier. But um, yeah, when we first launched, it was interesting, right? Because you're doing anything you can as, as scrappy as you can to try to make it work and just to try to help lenders you know interact with buyers and buyers interact with lenders and so you're always kind of playing that balancing game which makes it i think just twice as exciting at, at a marketplace and um matt i mean when you when you said it i hadn't really put i knew it that you had to build a marketplace right it was in the back of my head that you had to have lenders on there as well as buyers but i hadn't really thought about the implications of trying to build a company around both sides of the um, both sides of the equation, right? I mean, it had to be a enormous challenge because, um, I mean, ultimately you're disappointing people along the way, right? You're disappointing buyers early in the process because you don't have enough lenders. And then, as you said, um, Eric, you're disappointing lenders because all of a sudden the buyers disappear for a little while and you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're trying to, um, trying to grow that. It's, um, can you the, grow, can you grow it nationally great. or do you grow regionally or how do you do it? So Marco, go ahead. Yeah, just, I mean, the, the great thing about a marketplace, though, too, that we always talk about is kind of once you get that flywheel working, it kind of, it, it can sustain itself, right? So you can be, uh, from an internal team standpoint, you can be a very lean team that runs a very large marketplace, because once the marketplace starts to balance itself out, then it just, it, it moves itself and, and the interaction just happen. And so, yeah, so right now we're focused in six states in the Southeast. 
Uh, so we do stuff in the two Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and Florida. We do stuff nationally though, as well. We just have kind of focused here in the Southeast, but um, yeah, that's the plan is to obviously go, go national. And we, we get some buyers who randomly come in all the time from California or Ohio. Cause you know, aunt Susie might've told them about us somehow, or they saw us or heard us on a podcast or, you know, saw some article or something. So we still, we do stuff nationally. We, we focus in the Southeast, but yes, over time, like once you, get that flywheel working once you kind of get more and more traction on both sides and it just kind of it sustains itself I think which is yeah just beautiful with the marketplace when you get your first home buyer in Alaska you know you've made it right <laughs> that's the goal <laughs> when I actually when I when I do all my demos I've started doing them in Anchorage Alaska just to kind of just say hey like that's that's where we want to be eventually so yeah Alaska is the goal so what um so it's a huge challenge to build out a marketplace right I mean uh I can't even imagine. I mean, you've got a you've got to have a special. Do you have to have a license in each state in order to operate? Um, is that a challenge too, or is it just a national? How does how does building out a mortgage because you've got the mortgage um, lending number right that everybody is associated with, and we're all accustomed to seeing at the bottom of emails? Um, how does it work building out a mortgage company? Right? I mean, how how big of a challenge has that been? Yeah. So we've obviously talk talk to the attorneys on this one and we are licensed in six states in the southeast and yeah. so that's something i'm pretty comfortable with just with my background of, of of knowing that and so it creates a little bit of a barrier to entry which is cool um but it is you know it is a lot of work to get licensed and so we're going to focus on uh, some other big states coming up here too which we're which we're really excited about, but you know what we do is we 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 allow uh, we we don't focus on uh, marketing or anything in the states where we're not licensed in. But we've gotten so much inbound traffic from every state, and so what we do is we just make those connections for free um, in other states and just allow the, the just allow the lenders to to help the customers that come to our site. So it's actually worked really well for us. And we just, we just make sure that um, those home buyers are getting the right people um, connected. They're connecting with the right people. So, um, so almost a freemium model before, um, before you enter into the market, right? Just a, a do good service model almost. Yeah. And, and there's, there's states too where that can, you know, you start getting a little bit word of mouth traveling around in states. And so you can, we can actually use some of that data to figure out where we want to focus our licensing efforts on because, you know, for whatever reason, we've got, uh, you know, some traction in a state that we didn't realize we would get, you know, early traction in. And so we've seen that, you know, in, in some states in the, in the Midwest, definitely. Okay. How do you make money? Because ultimately, um, doing good's nice, right? But we also want to make some money along the way. Yeah. So you know, one of the benefits of the market that we're in is there's just a ton of money there. So there's you know, buy, you know, we 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 frame it like this: the the more the U.S. real estate market is the largest asset class in the entire world. The largest expense of buying a home is the mortgage, and the largest expense of originating a mortgage is acquiring that customer. And that's exactly where we play. And so how we make money is we charge the banks when we connect them with home buyers. And so we do that um, in a way where before they're, they're connecting with the, with the lenders, we're doing a lot of nurturing. We're doing a lot of, you know, education work. We have got a lot of cool calculators and articles like that, where people find us and um, help them figure out how much house they can afford and that kind of thing. And then when they're ready, we connect them with the lenders. And then that's when we charge lenders uh, a, a small connection fee uh, that makes sense for them. So you, you get paid um, once the buyers determine which lender they're going to use. Is that right? One incremental step before that. It's actually okay. when we assign the the th we assign three lenders. Uh, okay. A home buyer can always add additional lenders if they want to, but we automatically assign with our algorithm three uh, mortgage loan officers. And when that connection is made, we charge each of them a small fee, and then they can work with those home buyers um, as they go. So you're essentially your lead generation for those folks, and as a result, they pay a fee along the way, right? So clean and simple. 
and we yeah and we we intentionally uh call them connections because we aren't selling the phone number and the yeah. email address but yes we're we're an alternative lead generation source you're a much better lead generation source how's that yes um so <laughs> what um why three why not 10 why not two why not one why three why'd you why'd you narrow in on three yeah three is kind of the the magic number we found for for both sides of the marketplace so from a home buyer perspective i mean if they're getting only if they only connect with one or two people they usually don't feel like they got enough information or enough of you know choices or options and then if you get to four or five it often feels like hey this is just too complex too overwhelming to make a decision so three for from a borrower's perspective is the sweet spot of, of feeling they get to choose between um, some great options on the lender side as well it also creates a very competitive way for them um, to have a positive roi but also to to kind of play in a, in a strong environment so it kind of works well for both parties in that sense and that's kind of how we backed into three's the magic number you mentioned a few minutes ago that you can that borrowers can opt to have more people quote than the three do you what how many folks are asking for the fourth or the fifth i gotta imagine it's a super small number right you're and and you know it's funny because i thought it would be a much larger number and i mentioned before you let the market dictate yeah. and we we make it very simple to add a fourth and people people don't do it people don't do it at really at, at all and so you know i think uh i i think that's a it's a great insight that that you had that i had a different hypothesis early on and it didn't work out that way so yeah most people just take the the, the three that are that we assign to them difficult question have y'all ever had to kick a lender off for being a for lack of a better term for being a jerk <laughs> We, we had to, we, yeah, we, we have one, one person. Really? Yes. Um, um, well, I mean, cause you're trying to build a platform, right? And all of a sudden it's like, man, I got to get rid of somebody cause they're not nice. <laughs> What's that like? Was yeah. it, was it, was it easily defensible? And it was, just, it wasn't even really a conversation. It was just, this guy's got to get, or girl or whatever it was has to go. It was, it was one of those where I, you know, it was, it was really borderline probably of what was going on, but, um, but we just felt like it was best for the quality of the marketplace, not to, not to have them on, but yeah. And you know, there, and it, it was sort of a double whammy with, uh, we had, we had somebody say that they're, uh, they weren't very respectful to them too. So it was a little bit of a qualitative thing as well. So, uh, but yeah, I know those are tough. And, and I think, you know, what, you know, you bring up a good point because what Marco and I have talked about a lot is how do you, you know, how do we uh, scale that piece of it? How do we scale the quality? How do we give people extra points for, uh, you know, you know, thumbs up on, you know, this person was awesome and helped me out. And now you get more turns in the rotation. And that's the real benefit of a, of a marketplace long term is creating just increasing that quality on each side of the marketplace. So for lenders, you're providing them the home buyers that are absolutely you know, ready to go at the right time, that kind of thing. And then for the home buyers, you're providing them lenders that have stood the test of time in turn terms of how how competitive are their rates, how helpful are they, how good was the process, and all that kind of thing. So you bring up a really amazing point that is actually what is what make that that's what makes a marketplace very attractive uh, to consumers. If you think about you know, buying a TV on Amazon or something like that, you know, you can go there and you can see all the reviews, you can see the prices side by side, and it's a trusted source for consumers. And so that's what we're trying to provide in the mortgage space. It's interesting so, as you go ahead, Marco, I've got <clears throat> Yeah, the one, the one piece I think in there too, just I think the valuable piece of bundle long-term where we're going to be able to go is because uh, so compared to most of our competitors who just sell phone numbers, sell emails that, you know, borrowers here one second and they're gone the next, they don't see whatever happens, but on bundle from a quality standpoint, from creating the, the best customer experience possible, because everything happens on our platform. Um, I believe in the long term, we'll be sitting on a gold mine of data from, you know, just the ability to see which borrowers are choosing, which lenders and kind of vice versa and why, which can create some better connections and, 
improves matching algorithms longer term. And so from a quality standpoint, you know, keeping the best loan officers on the platform and, and knowing who's doing the best, which borrowers think they're the best, which, which borrowers choose which lenders because of rate or price or, or, you know, quality service, you know, responsiveness, personalization is kind of what is going to be valuable for bundle going, going forward longer term. So, I mean, it leads into a great question, which is, and we talked about it earlier in the conversation, somebody might be most pleased with the price and somebody else might be most pleased with the, you know, attention to detail and somebody might be most pleased with the, um, I don't know, the, um, the fact that they're dealing with a female or male or whatever. In the marketplace, will over time, as you gather that data on these different folks, will you give people the option to say, I'm more interested in price or I'm more interested in X or Y or how does the marketplace evolve over time into allowing consumers to maybe personalize their experience a little bit? I think you, you know, you're, you're going really deep into the conversations that Marco and I have every day. Cause what we've talked about is, Hey, you know, we can use some machine learning techniques to predict which home buyers like which type of lenders. And mm -hmm. so we can say, Hey, here's all the data that we have. And we know that this type of, home buyer uh, typically ultimately chooses this type of lender. And then we can match them with those types of lenders. And so inherently they're getting people that they're more likely to choose, which creates a customer experience that's, that's better. But then we've also talked about like, hey, instead of doing all the fancy math, why don't we just ask them up front, you know, what are you looking for? You, you're looking for somebody, what do you care most about? You know, do yeah. you care most about the absolute lowest rate that you can get? Do you care about, you know, quick responses? Do you care about somebody who can guide you through the process? Do you care about somebody that can close the loan really quickly because you're under some sort of time crunch or something like that? And then just let them answer that question and let loan officers choose which types of customers they think that they can help the most. And so, uh, yeah, we might need to bring you into some of our strategy uh, sessions of white and, and, and whiteboard some stuff on, what's best. So it's a, it's a, it's a fight between the cool math stuff that yeah. I think would be neat, but then also just the practical, let's ask people what they want piece too. Oh, but sometimes people don't know what they actually want. Right. I would imagine if you ask people what they wanted and like somebody says, I want price. And so you drop two price and then you drop a personalization in there. I wonder if they'd opt for the personalization. Right. So um, I don't know that that whole behavioral aspect of people um, is always fun to think about. So yeah. you're right on the cutting edge of it. I think for the most part, um, and, and I've got a cool thing in my, my background that uh, I always lean on too, which is um, we, uh, you know, people don't like options. And so you're sort of hitting on people don't like to choose. Yeah. Um, and I worked for uh, the, I worked for Bank of America and, and did some analytics on marketing campaigns and that kind of thing and credit cards. And so we would send out uh, the exact same offer. We did some, you know, we did testing and we would send out um, here's offer a, you know, low rates offer B was rewards. And so we sent those out separately and then we would send out one that had both of them on there and then they could choose. And so it was the exact same offer, except for instead of being two pieces of mail, it was two offers on the same. And like by a long shot, people preferred the the no option piece. So it's something that I've carried with me throughout my career is, you know, it just creates complexity and people don't like complexity. So sometimes it's better just to uh, only give people uh, limited options because, you know, that's what consumers choose whether they realize it or not. Yeah. And gosh, no, sometimes you feel like you have to make the decision for them, right? Um, I'm married, so that means I have a wife and she doesn't like to make decisions. So I'm, I'm very well aware of that complex. Um, and that's even, I mean, future generation stuff too, right? So you look at, I mean, we attract a ton of millennial and, you know, yeah. like the Gen Y folks, but looking at Gen Z coming up pretty quickly behind them now is, you know, like they, they've grown up in an environment and a lot of millennials too, where they just expect everything to be done and personalized for them. Like people, they know their ads on Instagram are personalized and they know that what they look up and different things like that data is going to be personalized. So people, it's almost more of an expectation, I believe, from a younger 
generation standpoint of that they they just expect you to tell them what's best or expect them to tell you what what to do versus giving them the options not to not to put you guys in different age groups i guess here but i think that that's something that the younger generation just more more so expect from a personalization standpoint just for you to do it for them just because i don't have any hair and i got gray in my beard you don't have to go put me in an older generation right <laughs> oh. um but no, so, I mean, a great point as far as talking about who your users are right now. I mean, you, you kind of launched your hard product in January, 2020. And you didn't know it, but right around the corner was a global pandemic. And all of a sudden people are interested in leaving cities and apartments and buying houses. And so we've had this huge home buying boom um, and rates collapse and now everybody's refinancing. And I got to imagine on the one hand, you're looking at this and it's like, man, we got to grab as much market share as we can right now because the, the getting's good. And the other hand, you're trying to do it in a methodical way where you don't damage the marketplace. How much of a struggle has that been over the course of the last 12 months to, to grow appropriately in the midst of what's going on? So great points. You know, the, the biggest story of last year was you mentioned in there was the was the low rates. Uh, the biggest story in the mortgage industry was was low rates. So much so that uh, I think the in 2019 it was total mortgage originations were right under two trillion dollars. In 2020, there they were close to three and a half trillion. So almost doubled. It's one of the biggest mortgage uh, years in history because rates dropped so much. Um, and so from a marketplace standpoint, what that did, so imagine our phone calls with lenders where they've got the capacity uh, as, an, as an industry to satisfy demand for $2 trillion and there's $3.5 trillion of volume coming in. So you call a lender up and they say, hey, we love what you're doing. We know this needs to change, but I have 50 people waiting in line right now to fill out an application with me. And so we have a ton of home buyers that are using our tools and everything, want to get refinanced and lenders, you know, who are, are signing up every day with us, um, but generally are way overwhelmed with what's sitting on their desk in front of them. So that's the best way I can explain how the sort of pandemic, uh, help, you know, affected us was pandemic hits, Fed lowers rates, uh, starts buying uh, bonds to lower mortgage rates, and that creates massive demand in the refinance market. And so massive amount of demand with the same supply that we had the year before. And so that's the environment that we were living in um, last year. So y'all can actually thrive, not can in theory then, as demand hard or um, demand softens, right? Y'all and people actually have to work for the lead again, that's an environment where y'all can really thrive a lot now that you've got the, um, the structure in place. That's, a, that, that's y'all's sweet spot is when it's hard. Am I right or wrong? Yes. Yeah, no, technically, yes. I mean, there's a little bit of like an inverse. Of, we kind of operate in the inverse of what's going on in the, yeah. in the, mark, in the mortgage market, at least. And so um, I think, I mean, the sweet spot is kind of like in the middle, right? So yeah. I think I'm, I'm excited for later this year. I think a lot of stuff is going to, when you talk about, you know, supply and demand from a housing perspective too, last year was a ton of refis. This year, people are going to start to purchase homes again, hopefully. And so in the next few months, I think a lot of stuff will, will free up. And that's kind of, I think, where, where we can start to really play strong again, because we focus so much on first-time homebuyers and helping those millennials who have been living in a, an apartment or living with their parents start to move into homes. Um, so I think this year will be an exciting year from that perspective. And so, um, but yeah, traditionally, uh, if rates are higher, we, we might be a little bit more competitive um, in the market. Another thing Marco just mentioned there that's really interesting from an industry standpoint is there is a ton of pent-up demand in the millennial generation. So if you look at a cohort view, uh, which is a fancy term for saying what percent of a, a population or what percent of a generation at specific ages owned a home, they're way below previous generations. So as an example, 
at 27, does this generation, what percent of them own a home? And so that's really low compared to uh, previous generations. And that's for a few different things. You know, it's, it has to do with, there's a little bit of a, a bad taste in people's mouth from what happened a, a decade ago with the financial crisis and the housing crisis. Um, but there's also, you know, a lot of uh, debt, uh, a debt that people are carrying from student loans and, and that kind of thing. And it's harder to save up for down payments and harder to, to make it make sense within your monthly budget. And so that will, that's going to change and it's going to change in a big way as, as people, uh, you know, get past uh, some uh, financial, you know, sort of like monthly budgeting humps and things like that. There's a big pent up demand there. And so these folks are people who, you know, demand the customer experience of the Instagrams and the lifts and the, and, and the uh, Ubers and that kind of thing. And, and that's one of the, the cool things that we're excited is about. We're providing that kind of consumer a mortgage product that uh, it, it feels and looks and acts a lot more like some of these other apps that they're used to using. A good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but it um, it does, right? It functions in that it functions in that capacity. Um, it absolutely does. Interesting. Good point. Um, you raised so you raised money. You started raising money what the end of two thousand and nineteen. Is that right? Kind of, yeah. sort of. Yes. Um, and you were one of one of, if not the first, local companies to slide in under the Charlotte Angel Funds kind of raising a smaller amount participation. I think you were the first company, maybe still even the only. Um, and you live in Charlotte and we love Charlotte entrepreneurs, but for some reason we don't fund Charlotte entrepreneurs at the pace that we probably would if we lived in other cities. What was it like raising money last year or I guess not last year, but 2019? I mean, what was the process like? what you learn? Um, what did you hate? Um, you know, just talk a little bit about that fundraising process. I mean, the good news for y'all is you were you actually did it, right? There's other companies that that haven't been able to. So it was a small raise, but it's still a successful raise. Yes. So great. First time I ever raised money um, was was last year. We raised, and and this is out there in the uh, the in, in some articles that were written. But we raised two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars at the beginning of 2020 and almost straddled the beginning of the, uh, of the COVID outbreak. So we had raised half of that um, by the end of January, pretty quickly, actually, you know, we started raising in, in December and had some really good traction with um, multiple angel funds in the Southeast. And we thought, Oh man, this is, this is going to be a piece of cake. And then, um, and then everything locked up completely. And, you know, we actually had some advice of, hey, if you're good, this is not the right time to raise money, at least not this month or the next month, that kind of thing. So we sort of just pressed pause, um, you know, kept people updated, that kind of thing. And we're able to, to experience some cool growth um, at the beginning half of that year um, and got connected with uh, the Charlotte Angel Fund, which you know, it was a really awesome experience meeting all, you know, the, the entire group there. And, and, um, and while we were talking with Charlotte Angel Fund, we also, um, you know, met some other folks, uh, other angel investors that were interested in well. So we were able to, to close out that second half of that um, over, you know, the, 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 the call it May, May, June time period um, after we had taken a few months off, I, you know, Honestly, I don't know if that was the best way to do it, to take a break and, and, and come back to it. Um, it ended up working out and we were able to, to raise the money that, you know, that we needed to um, and that we were focused on. And so, um, yeah, generally, I think that uh, we were focused in the Southeast and we had some good advice on, you know, how to sort of rank, uh, you know, good matches and that kind of thing. And, um, and it worked out worked out well. And so for us, the, the connection point to Charlotte Angel Fund, we were sort of part of the ecosystem. Marco was at Queen City uh, Fintech Accelerator working there. 
And then we went through the program. So we developed some connections sort of within that ecosystem. And so we had a few folks that were able to, to vouch for what we were doing and, and, and um, got us in the door there. And so, um, you know, just to, to lift the veil a little bit um, for some of your listeners, how that works is you have sort of a pre-meeting with just a few folks, and then um, you sort of get to the next level and you're able to, to present to the broader um, ecosystem within Charlotte Angel Fund, which might have 50 or so folks that are part of the group. And, you know, for us, it was a Zoom call. Um, I think traditionally, maybe you go and you, 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 you actually stand in front of the 50 people. Um, and then there's a voting process at an angel fund that sort of moves you to the next level and moves you into due diligence to sort of make sure everything you were saying checks out and that kind of thing. And then you, you, get, the, you get the check um, if everything works. I think, um, I think, you know, if you sort of move to that next level and, you know, William, you might know a little bit better, um, you, you've got a pretty good chance of getting the check once you've gotten the votes to, to move forward. I think something really has to go sideways within that due diligence process for, you know, that not to happen. And that probably depends on, you know, fund by fund, but, you know, that was, um, you know, probably a little more maybe in depth than, than you're, than you're, uh, we're, we're looking for of the explanation, but I think it's really important that, you know, a year and a half ago, I had no clue what that process looked like. And so for other people, I think it's good to understand sort of how it works a little bit and, you know, the, the strategy of getting in the door and, and moving to the next steps. Um, it's interesting. You, you brought up the point and um, I knew it. And then at the same time, I'd kind of forgotten it. Uh, Marco, it's one of the results of the bald head and the, and the white in here, right? As the bad memory comes along with it. But um, so you went through the, you went through Queen City Fintech, Eric. Um, and that's where y'all met because Marco was a BFA fellow working with QC Fintech at that point in time. Um, so for you, Eric and Marco at the same time, the QC Fintech program with Dan and everything else was a was a great launching pad. For, for me, it was probably one of the best things I could have done because <clears throat> I was a um, solo founder, meaning that I started the company all by myself, computer and me, you know, and my wife is a great advisor and everything, but it was really, you know, I was by myself. And highly important for you to get that piece in there, Eric. Good save. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, uh, and she still is. So she's the one I, you know, big decisions. She's, she is my most trusted advisor, but, you know, didn't realize. So all the, all the dumb things that I've done so far in this journey that you don't know what you don't, you don't know these things, you know, solo founders are actually looked at sort of negatively um, in the investment ecosystem, something that I didn't realize, honestly, before I started the company, I think there's, um, you know, some risk mitigation to having two people that are really strong that can bounce ideas off of each other. There's some key, you know, limit your key man risk and key man is like very important. Key man means it's a very important person within, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the um, company. And so there's all kinds of reasons of uh, why you want multiple founders and that kind of thing. And so um, two things that I was able to do that were just outstanding through that program. Number one, they just give you, uh, uh, I'll, I'll say three things. So number one, just general startup advice that anybody would get, would get the advisors there are great. But number two, I was able to fill up an advisory board um, and um, I met Marco there. So those, those are my two things is I came in with no advisory board, no advisors um, officially, um, and no other uh, no other founders. And I left with a, a great founder in Marco and 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 some amazing uh, Charlotte area advisors that have had really successful companies and and some within the mortgage space. So I think the program is great for any any startup. I but I think it was especially great uh, for me at that time. So let's go to 1B. We'll leave your wife at 1A, Eric, but we'll, let's go to 1B. Um, Marco, what's up? I mean, um, you've had, a, I mean, it's been a great process, right? I mean, uh, finished school, did BFA, joined QC FinTech, 
Um, and now you're with a startup, right? I mean, you've kind of, um, you, um, in an, I don't know, it's probably, I put words in your mouth, but it's almost an idealistic situation that you've kind of run through over the course of the last four years. Just talk about that for a few minutes. What's it been like? Yeah, I think, yeah. So after I finished school and joined Venture for America, I had- Where'd you finish chance, school? I mean, uh, Grand Canyon University in okay. Phoenix. So yep. small mid-major school out there. Um, finished school and my wife and I packed up the car and we said, hey, we're moving to Charlotte, drove across the country and and just kind of jumped off a cliff to, to you know, enter the startup space. And so, um, yeah, awesome time at, at Queen City FinTech and got to see, you know, tons of companies come through that program. Tons of great alumni have come out of QCF. And um, I mean, through Venture for America and through Queen City FinTech, I think I probably saw like 40, 50, 60 companies that I either interviewed with or had worked with at some in some capacity. And then obviously Eric came along in one of those spring cohorts and kind of had a few light bulb moments of like, man, I, I think there's something really like key here of, of what he's solving within the industry and from him as a founder and leadership perspective. I think uh, there were a couple of light bulb moments that I was like, man, okay. And deep down, I mean, my itch had always been, I, I want to you know, help build a company. I want to like kind of get in on the ground floor. And um, Eric was looking for somebody to help on the sales side. And I said, Hey, like, let's, let's go do this um, after, after he finished the program. And so um, just been an awesome opportunity, I think, to kind of, you know, get your, get in the trenches and kind of build a company from the ground up and um, Eric's a phenomenal leader, I think, from multiple perspectives of how, how he thinks strategically and from a vision standpoint, but also um, I think just how we balance each other out in the office is always always a fun time as well. So I'll give a good I'll give it a good side story too. So finish the program. Marco says, Hey, let's grab some dinner. Uh, Friday night. Marco, do you do you have to buy because you were making the pitch? I think I did buy actually. <laughs> That's because Eric was a founder. He had no money, right? I had no money. True. True. Yeah. The only way I would be able to buy if I, I asked to bring my wife along. So, um, um, so we, uh, we went and had dinner uh, and Marco brought out um, a piece of paper, actually two pieces of paper, one for him, one for me. And it listed uh, you know, all the reasons why this would work, but specifically it listed, um, and this is, this is, you're swinging for the fences for this, with this one, I think, but specifically it listed the, uh, the, uh, strengths and weaknesses of each of us. Yeah. And, and so when you're going to try to get a job to list the weaknesses of the person that you're, you know, you're trying to get to is, is, um, a lot, a lot of courage there. And so, but it was just an amazing pitch in my mind of how he positioned himself to be able to, you know, really help take bundle to the next level and how, how well we would work together. So, you know, I think I was expecting, uh, you know, you would expect maybe more of a, Hey, you know, I really want to, you know, join you. And, but the, the thought I think that went into, um, you know, sort of pitching, the concept of us working together was so above and beyond anything I would have expected, I think was just a huge moment for me. Um, almost of a, if I don't, you know, if we don't team up, this would be an incredibly, that would be an incredibly stupid move on, on my side. <laughs> it's a bold move, Marco. <laughs> it was, it was bold. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know where I came up with it or something, but yeah, I sat him down and, I think he was a little bit shocked, but then, I mean, I don't know, it turned out to work out okay. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, you were at QC FinTech for what, 18 months? Is that right? Yeah, Fintech? about like 18 months with, with Dan and everybody. Yeah. yeah so did that, um, and, and I mean, I don't want to, you kind of chose Eric, right? You chose Bundle as my, and yeah, helped that they were local, but um, you know, what was it about Bundle that was really, you know, um, out of all the other companies that you've kind of seen come through and uh, just the ecosystem itself. I mean, what was it about Eric and Bundle that was, hey, man, this is a good fit. I really want to try to make this one work. Yeah. So, I mean, there were a couple of easy ones. I mean, just obviously being in Charlotte, we, we love Charlotte and, and just Eric being based here. And then I think, um, I, like, yeah, like I had mentioned, I'd seen tons of companies come through and uh, through Venture for America as well. And uh, I think there's just always something different. You can kind of pick apart sometimes with with founders and the way they think, the way they they lead, the way they um, just balance everything. And I, I noticed something. You see, when you work at an accelerator program and you work with companies for you know 
three months, like you really get a deep insight to how founders work. Like, you know, Eric getting to the office before anybody else, like everybody else is sleeping in and he's there early working on stuff and, but also getting home for dinner at the same time too. There's, there's an important piece of, I think how he operated that I was just drawn to. And then um, I kind of had a few light bulb moments, which is when we were talking about the product and um, just, I think some key ways that we're going to be able to change the, the real estate and home buying industry. I think that um, really it was like, okay, there's something, there's something bigger here than just um, connecting home buyers and lenders. There, there's some more, there's some bigger aspects of, of where, where we can take this thing. And that in my mind is the, the billion dollar company idea. So a um, couple key things there, but I mean, yeah, I think obviously Dan took a huge shot with, with me at, at QC FinTech and taught me a lot from a sales perspective. And then, you know, Eric had an opportunity to kind of help, you know, become a head of sales and kind of learn to build an entire sales process, which was very, very appealing to me as well too. So just that experience was something I couldn't ever turn down. So um, it's crazy. It always shocks me how fast this happens, but we're coming up on the end of our time, right? So we got a couple of minutes left. Um, and one of the things that attracted me to bundle right out of the gate was I thought it was a, a merger of two, two pretty obvious things. One is you've got the tailwind of people continuing to buy houses and that was an obvious component. And then you had the privacy component that y'all were building into it as well. And I just thought it was a natural and your, your board of advisors was a, um, was a big selling point when we were voting for you um, at Charlotte Angel Fund as well. What is the, um, how does all of that equate to the company in five years from now? Um, where are you going? What do you need to get there? Um, uh, capital raising inside, outside of Charlotte, how many rounds do you foresee? What's, the, I mean, what's that roadmap? And I know it's hard to say five years, right? Cause you hope to be wrong. Um, and you hope to be wrong in the positive, not in the negative. Um, but what does that roadmap look like for y'all as far as, you know, how you're going to get there, how you're going to continue to grow things, just kind of lay that rosy picture out there for our listeners. I think, for us, it's very basic. It's helping as many home buyers with as many pieces of the process um, as possible in a way that they enjoy. And, and that everything else falls underneath that. And, and there's different tactics of how we can do that. You know, we, we think about it um, in terms all the time of, you know, what does the pop, what, what are the, the solutions that people use today to find their lenders, to find their real estate agents, to find their hazard insurance companies, all these things. And then what is that experience like? And then how can we take those methods and those paths to finding those solutions? And how can we start from the customer and build a process that they truly enjoy that feels so much different than the competition out there? <clears throat> and if you start from that such, from that very basic standpoint, then you gain massive market share. You don't start by saying, I want to be, you know, the 50% of all transactions, or I want 50% of people to find their, their mortgage through bundle. You start with like at the very core, what is an enjoyable experience um, in this process and work every day at the really, really small things to make sure you're nailing those things. Man, so focus on the customer to grow a company. Is that, is that all you're going to do? <laughs> yeah, seems basic, right? But, you know, that's really where, you know, we love it the most when we have home buyers say, man, that was super easy. Love what you guys are doing. Keep up the great work. Like those are the best because that's what we're, that's what we're looking for. You know, we're looking for, taking the pain out of a, a, a traditionally painful um, process. With Lending Tree and not the maybe dirty word, um, haven't already paid the path here in Charlotte kind of as far as that component goes and with Movement Mortgage kind of growing up and with Bank of America here and Wells Fargo and now BB&T headquarters, you know, um, I know you're from here, but is that, does all of that stuff being around this area really kind of, give you the infrastructure you need the fuel for the fire to kind of grow this thing over the course of the next five years yeah i think there's an amazing ecosystem here and obviously the banks are are what get a lot of notoriety but you you mentioned lending tree they've done so much in making a transparent open marketplace online and so that is a consumer 
friendly thing. We're taking a little bit of that model and, and making it, you know, focusing on the customer and the experience a little bit. Um, but another one here too, Red Ventures is based here. They bought a company called Bankrate, which a lot of people use to compare mortgages. And, and so they have a similar product to LendingTree when you're looking for your mortgage. So there's just so much of an ecosystem in the mortgage space because you, you layer in um, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Truist is now here. So they're all, those are all massive companies. You mentioned uh, Movement as well as top 15 lender and, um, and, uh, you know, there, uh, you know, you've got, uh, better.com has a, you know, that's more of a fintech mortgage company. They've got a big presence here now. So this is the, you know, this is a, a an amazing town to be in for financial services and, and, and there's no other alternative for some great technology companies to, uh, come out of this ecosystem just because of all the all those companies I just mentioned here. So um, I still can't say Truist. So I said BB&T. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the um, and I know you don't, but I have to ask anyways. I mean, uh, it's a crowded marketplace, right? I mean, y'all get worried about competition. Yeah, I, I'm just going to lean back a little bit. Of you know, we we focus on the consumers we get in the door and and, and focus on making that experience good for them. And I think that when you do that, um, that's what wins in the long term. is, you know, we, we had an amazing milestone for us on, on Monday. We had our first day where we had a thousand users come to bundle and some of our competition might laugh at that number. They might get that in 15 minutes. I don't know what, you know, how, but for us, it was really cool. And as long as we're taking those a thousand people and making them advocates for what we're doing, that's how, you know, that's what we're focused on, on doing. Have you stopped just, have you stopped to celebrate that? Right. I mean, you know, we run so hard in life that we forget to celebrate the little moments. Um, do you have a bell that you ring on certain milestones or something like that? I mean, how do y'all, how do you celebrate those moments so that it doesn't pass you by we need a bell we definitely we definitely need a, a bell in the office or something to ring there's nobody else in the we work space so we should we could do that yeah um no yeah we'll, we'll stop and grab some beer sometimes i think we, we we fly too fast a lot of times where we maybe forget to do that sometimes but um, i think eric did a little celebrating or something on monday um but yeah is there a video of that wife. celebration somewhere or no? <laughs> You know, that's another one, you know, again, I'm not, but my, you know, Jess, my wife, she was like, we need to have a drink. You had a thousand, you had a thousand users. And right now we're in the middle of, you know, we're in the middle of fundraising right now. So stress is at a, at, at sort of a higher level. And she was like, you need to stop and celebrate this. And so she's good about that. And Marco's really good about that too. You know, saying, Hey, we just hit, you know, 200 loan officers on the platform. Let's stop and, and, and celebrate. And people love you know, people love living that with you. You know, that's one cool thing about this ecosystem is the support and the people, the people that are, are your cheerleaders. And, and it really is very refreshing that people just really want you to do, to do well. And they enjoy um, getting the updates on, on those kinds of things, because it, it's something that, you know, they're, they're very willing to take that ride with you. Yeah, no, well, that's, um, uh, that's a good way to wrap up. I mean, y'all got a boatload of cheerleaders here in town um, from, you know, just the ecosystem at large to investors and everything else. So you built a great company so far. Um, it's a neat product. Um, and, you know, certainly wish y'all the best of luck over the course of the next three to five and 20 years. Um, and hopefully we get a chance to celebrate some successes with you along the way. Awesome. So, Thanks, William. This has been fun. Yeah, no, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Marco. Thanks, William. Appreciate your time. Thank you.
program and not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.